Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We had the announcement earlier about uh, the sign-up for community groups, and if you are uh, computer active, online is definitely the way to go. It's, uh, it's very easy, and if you have any troubles uh, or if you don't use a computer, feel free to, to sign up here at church at, at either door. Now, last week, we began uh, this series on uh, Community of the King, and we uh, talked about how although we now have more opportunity than ever to communicate with one another, and yet in our day, at least in my view, in the years I've been in the pastorate, uh, I, I think we're more disconnected than we've ever been, which just shows us again the great need for connection and certainly within the church for there to be uh, connection. Now, in the New Testament, uh, there are a number of illustrations of what the body of Christ is to be, what the church is to be. Uh, you have, for instance, the vine and the branches, and naturally the, the illustration there has to do with being connected with Christ but as you, as you look at a vine, typically, uh, the, the various leaves, though they're connected, if they are connected and still alive, most of them look alike. And so that's part of the illustration of the church, but, but not all of it. And then perhaps uh, the highest earthly example of uh, union, and it, in the New Testament we see uh, that being marriage, illustrating the nature of the church as well. But here's the thing about that. Even though that union is based on choice and upon uh, uh, connection and a real unity together, no matter how close a husband and wife are, there's still a gap. Now we say, well, the two have become one. That's true, but by saying that, we aren't implying that they're really only one person now. We're saying they have a union together. And so that brings us to the illustration that we're going to look at today in uh, the New Testament that gives us uh, some more and maybe even a fuller view of the church and what the church ought to be, and that is... Uh, as he gives us the illustration of the body. And this is the Apostle Paul. We're going to begin uh, with the third verse, but just remember how this passage starts. And this is the part of Romans where he's really applying all the theology that's gone on before. And in, in chapter 12, then he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so we tend to think of, okay, our, our bodies. But then he begins to talk about the body, beginning with verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone 
among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, will you today take this, this illustration that we, we can relate to, we can understand, but help us to understand it in relationship to the church, to our church, and to us. Uh, we need your spirit to be our teacher, and so we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we were in an, uh, spent a good bit of time in Ephesians 2. We looked at the theological basis for uh, the unity of the church, and it was what Christ did on the cross that uh, he reconciled God to the Jew. God to the Gentile, and there was a big wall between the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian, and it says he broke down that wall of partition. So there was reconciliation there. That's the theological base. And then we read from Paul again today, verse 4 and 5, and this is kind of where we're going to camp out for a little bit before we get to an application of this. Uh, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Why would he use that as the illustration? Don't think too deeply on this one. I think the answer is because we all have bodies. We get it. We understand. And so when he begins to talk about, you know, different parts of the body having different functions, you know, we all go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I get it. And he relates that then to the church. Over in a parallel passage, 1 Corinthians 12 He says this, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So all of these passages agree on the emphasis of the unity 
of the body of Christ. And it's, it's based upon individuals' union with Christ. There won't be a, a unity if, that, if there isn't first a union with Christ. But then there's a unity with one another. Whether we acknowledge it, whether we act like it or not, there is absolutely uh, that unity. So we start with that. We talked about that last week. Let's see what else this illustration adds. There's not only a unity, but there's a diversity. Same verse, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So here it seems to be a, a contrast of what Paul just said, but actually he is continuing to develop uh, the picture of the body. He says, yes, there's absolutely uh, a unity, but within that unity, there's diversity. Now, we just had general assembly at, uh, in Greenville, and some of our guys uh, that were up there came back, and I said, well, what did what, you see there? What what did you observe? One of the things that I, I took some delight in, they said, wow, we've, you know, among our pastors, we've, we've got real diversity. Now, here's what they meant. I mean, you can, you can find some PCA pastors that I think they were born in dark blue suits, and I suspect they might go to bed in dark blue suits. And so, you know, that's, the, that's kind of the, the one end where uh, they're very comfortable in, in, in suits, and, and, you know, you would look at them and say, now that looks like a pastor, you know. And then, but here's what they said. We got, uh, you know, there's pastors with earrings and tattoos, and, and so you didn't know that, did you, about PCA pastors? And by the way, don't ask me to see my tattoo. I've, some of you have noticed I wear long sleeves all the time. That's all I'm saying. And then there are those of us perfectly balanced in the middle, okay? Well, <laughs> thank you. So, so we, we've got a diversity, but you know how I see that? I don't see that as being weird. I'm glad for the suits. I'm, I'm glad for, you know, the earrings and the tattoos. I'm glad for everything in between. I think, if anything, that strengthens us as a denomination in that that kind of diversity. If anything, we just need more diversity in, in various ways. Now, here's the thing. Think about our church. What if everyone here were like me in terms of strength and weaknesses? Well, we'd probably have all the teachers we need for all of our classes. Might not have many sitting out there learning. Everybody would be up front and teaching and so on. Uh, we would have more ideas than you could shake a stick at. But the problem would be, who's going to carry out all these ideas? You know, ideas for me is not a, not a problem, but it really helps to have people that can carry them, carry them out. Uh, in terms of uh, finances, if everybody was like me, money-wise, uh, now, I don't want to give a wrong impression here. I don't have any problem with 
taking care of our money at home, but that's small potatoes. You know, we're, I'm on top of that. But when it comes to the church and we start to talk about the budget and this and that, at some point, the senior pastor's eyes just glaze over. And I'm, I'm there in the meeting, but I'm, it's hard for me to engage in that. In fact, the guys that count, we have some guys that count on uh, the money faithfully on Monday morning, you know, from the offering. And uh, I guess they kind of know this because I don't really keep close track of the finances here. I'm so thankful that there are those that do. But, uh, and I don't worry about them. I, I am convinced God will provide, and he always has provided. But they kind of simplify it for me. After they're done counting, typically one of them will walk by my office and say, well, it's a McDonald's week or it's a bonefish week. See? <laughs> you know, I, I say, they know that I can understand that, you know. So we wouldn't want everybody here to have those same gifts. We've got people that are on top of that, and it makes me feel good that there are people with a different gifting. Um, I guess there's one more thing, too. If, you know, you, you look around the building, and we have a lot of people come into the building and how it's been redone and the new part, and they say, boy, this, this is beautifully decorated. If everyone here was like me, nobody would be saying that about the decorations. They would say, wow, nothing matches here. You know, what's, what's the deal? You get the point. We need the diversity. But here's something else we need to understand about that. Diversity can also be irritating. We, we need to know that. L let me give you some examples. You have, uh, let's say you have the person that's gifted in evangelism. Well, they'll look around and, uh, you know, they, that's all they can think about. Sharing the gospel you know, on a personal level and, and doing it more and more and more. It's wonderful. I, I love to be around those people. But a lot of times they'll say, we just aren't sharing the gospel here. We're just not doing it. Or somebody that's burdened for world missions, we need more in world missions and someone who is called especially into local missions, saying we need more local missions or mercy ministries or uh, uh, pro-life things or political action or, you know, you, you get the idea and, and there can, if we are not careful, there can be a, a pull among one another and what we need to do instead is to thank God for the diversity that He gives to us, to acknowledge the giftedness and affirm the giftedness of all those different people and appreciate that, but continue on in your area of giftedness and, and don't get off track. Um, it's, you know, we just had a, a beautiful number from our choir. And when you think of music, uh, sometimes you sing in unison. When you sing harmony, it's, it's not singing the same note 
but rather singing notes that complement each other. By the way, I'm only giving you a music lesson because Mark Rattray is not here this week. So it goes back to diversity. Um, you know, the choir, and this is just this is simply my opinion. The choir, when they sing, I love to hear the ladies do their part. I love to hear the men do their part. But to me, what's most beautiful is when they join together. And, and you're he- hearing the fullness of that. It's the same with our orchestra. Well, you know, I, I love to hear the little solos in there and, and so on. It's beautiful. I think the fullness to me. And that's, that's the nature of the body of Christ. It's that diversity that comes together and forms a harmony that causes it to be effective. Now, there's a third aspect here, and that is what I'm I'm calling the balance of the body. You know, we had the unity of the body, the diversity of the body, and the balance of the body. Um, Once again, in those same verses, verse 4 and 5, verse 5 ends with this, the phrase, members one of another. Now, that's remarkable, that that phrase. It doesn't just say we're all members of the body, but I'm convinced this is taking it several steps farther where it says members one of another. In fact, the New International Version says each member belongs to all the others. I like that. I think that's descriptive of what it's talking about here. There's a unity because of Christ diversity and giftedness and strengths. But now there's a, the application is that, that one another thing, which that phrase is used over and over and over again, close to 60 times in the New Testament, one another. And that's because that's the nature of the body. Um, there's, there's a beauty in a balanced community. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take you to another passage and illustrate how this can apply. Now, remember, we're, we're in the background. The application, of course, is we're going to have community groups this fall. And over in Titus chapter 2, we see um, a church functioning, and here's what it says. Titus 2, start with the first verse. He says, again, this is, <coughs> this is Paul. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound of faith in love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, Man, is Paul not bold? He he uses the phrase older women. I don't think I have ever used that phrase ever in addressing a group. Um, But remember, this is the Word of God. So he says, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, 
kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, I urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and so on. Now, I don't know if you caught what's going on here, but you've got interaction between uh, the generations. The background to this passage, Paul begins this section by emphasizing the need for teaching and uh, the need for sound doctrine. And then he tells how. He is basically saying that for the church to be all it can be, it has to be more than just the pastor teaching. If the church is going to thrive, it's got to be more than just me, just a pastor or even several pastors. It's the church interacting. This is talking about community. Several things from this passage. One is I think we need, first need to notice, and by the way, God has blessed us with various generations here in the church. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing that we've got all the generations represented. First thing we need to notice is different generations need to learn similar things. That might sound strange. In other words, you know, it's, there are different things, which we'll see in a minute, but there are some things that every generation needs to learn. Look at um, what it says here, that older men and younger men, they both need to learn self-control. Ladies, where are you? I thought I would hear my first female amen there. Older men and younger men need, both need to learn self-control. Okay, that's... Now, here's the catch. <laughs> Older men, younger men, and younger women are all told they need to learn that. Isn't that interesting? All three of those. Now, lest any of some of you, and I don't know who you would be, some of you older women, I don't, I don't know who that would be out there, but lest any of you feel prideful, look at what it says, the older women, you know, they need to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. So evidently, that's what you all struggle with, so... But you have the self-control with the various generations. So there are similar things that we all need to learn, and we all need to learn them at different stages of life, different phases of life. And so you don't quit learning. You know, some things you might say, well, I'm getting getting older. I still got to learn self-control. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Okay. So I learn it in my phase of life. And then, secondly, different generations have different things they need to learn. Uh, it, it says what the women are to be taught, and you can look at that. It talks about the older win- women teaching the younger women about raising children and being in the home and things like that. And then we need to know that we can positively um, be shaped by those of other generations. It's because of our common experience. So that those who have gone before us 
can help us when we reach that phase. And that's a good thing. It's an important aspect of the church. Um, you know, after being in ministry for a while, I'm not hearing that many things that people are facing that I haven't heard before. But sometimes people feel all alone. By the way, sometimes I, I get surprised, you know. I, I put on my pastor's face and don't act surprised, but sometimes it's, whoa, really? I never, I hadn't heard that one before, but, but usually, and sometimes I will say this to somebody. When they come in, they talk about an issue or a problem they're facing, I won't get specific in terms of somebody who else in the church is struggling with that. But it's not uncommon for me to say, you know what? There are a number of folks right here at St. Andrews that are struggling with that very same thing. And sometimes they're just surprised. Because, you know, if you just look at people on a Sunday morning, you kind of look around and you think, well, they, they look like they pretty well got it together. You know, they, they look, and, and yet every, every person in here has a story, and every person has something they're either rejoicing over or struggling with, every single person here. And that's the beauty of groups, is you begin to, you begin to know that. You begin to, and that's a better place. I mean, we can't possibly all share our story here. And we can't all get up after after this message, and share how that hit us. But in the groups, that's the kind of thing you'll be doing. We'll be talking about the morning message and applying it and saying, wow, this, you know, that hit me here. And somebody else will say, well, here's what I got out of that. And you'll both benefit from that kind of a thing. And I want to talk for a moment to the older ones. You need to be willing to share. And don't, don't give in to the, I've put my time in. I've done the group thing. Don't give in to that. I, I, you know, do you think God accepts that kind of an answer? I'm just riding it out till time to go to heaven. Uh, it's hard for me to picture the Lord being pleased with that, that kind of an attitude. But some, you know, sometimes older ones, they don't want to share because they've just checked out. You know, I'll go to church, but that, don't expect anything else out of me. And you're stealing from the next generation. But I also understand that some of you don't think that younger ones want to hear anything from you. I understand that. And sometimes that's because you have tried to share and some younger one wasn't interested in listening. Um, pa Robert Lewis, who's a pastor, tells this. He had one man who came into his office and he said, look, I'm, I'm old, I'm sick, I really don't have any purpose in, in life. I don't know if any of you felt that way. And... The pastor, he said, I told him, uh, oh, no, you, you got a lot of things you can do. Like what? Tell the younger men your story. The older man said, uh, nobody wants to listen to me. The pastor said this, you've got 70 years experience, 
And here's a generation of guys who haven't had anybody to share real life with them. The older man said, all right, well, if I have the opportunity, I'll, I'll meet with some younger man. Well, later, Pastor Lewis was at a meeting. He, he told about this older man. He had several younger men come up and say, that's what I need. And now this older gentleman meets with five or six guys a week. You see, there's a, there's a, there's a craving from the younger to hear from the older. And you younger, you need to be willing to learn. In fact, all ages need to be willing to learn from the other generations. It's about being connected. A lot of you have been in my office. Um, usually the first thing people notice when they come into my office is they say, oh, look at all those books. Well, most of the, the books are on, uh, they're on several uh, of the walls, and then there's one wall of almost all windows and some pictures on a wall over here. And then there is a, a chair. It's the red chair, if you've ever been in my office. And it's actually all the books are, are behind that chair. In fact, somebody told me uh, the other day that chair actually reclines. I was just shocked. I didn't, you know. But anyway, you can, you can sit in... You can sit in that chair and not, not you, you can look at an angle where you don't see any of the books. And uh, suppose somebody came in and said, you know what, I want to learn about the Bible and theology, but I just don't know where to go. I don't, I don't have any resources. Where would I go? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helpless with figuring out where my resources are. Wouldn't that be, that'd be silly. You know, all they have to do is do this. Turn around. You in the church, you younger women, you younger men, you're sitting in the middle of a resource library. It's there. It's a gift. And that's the beauty of the generations. And that's why these groups are going to be important for us to cause interaction with the generations that maybe doesn't always come as, as naturally. Now, look, I'm not in any way opposed to small groups being among your peers uh, or age or stage in life. In fact, our, our college age and our youth group, they're going to be uh, mostly with their, their own age. But they will have uh, those that are older working with them, too. But if that's your only interaction, if it's just with your peers, then you'll be missing out something. It's, it's the poverty of, of peerism. I think I might have coined that word, but I thought I had coined that word. And, but in the day of computers, so I decided, well, I better Google that because that may, that may mean something else I don't, I don't know. And I Googled it, and it said... Uh, this word is not usable in Scrabble. So that tells me it must, not, it must not be a legitimate word. So let me define it, the poverty of peerism, and that is if all you have is input from your peers, those exactly in your age and stage, 
you'll lose out. And that goes for every generation. Think about it. Start with the youngest generation. Would you send them, would you send your children to school if there were not teachers that were older than them (laughs) to teach them? I hope you wouldn't, okay? And let's face it, things that kids learn from their peers in school aren't necessarily the best things they're learning there. So, you know, we can, you, you can blow that up to, to any age and then, you know, go, go to your own generation or go to the, the older generation. And, of course, I'm always making those older than me at this point. But, you know, what can happen is you start spending a lot of time talking about your aches and pains and what are you taking for cholesterol? Yeah, yeah. Now, I do all that medicine thing. I, I can talk to either generation because I, you know. But, but if you, you can get stuck in that, and then all of a sudden you, you lose some, some touch. That's the beauty of the generations here. Maybe you're uh, blessed to have other generations of your family around I feel so blessed because when, when our four children were uh, growing up, my mom lived with us, and so every single day we had, and because there's a, a spread in my kids, you know, we had, we had baby stuff for a while and teenage stuff, and, you know, this, when I talk about the spread, we started college and kindergarten the same year, so, you know, we were shopping for uh, dorm furniture and nap mats, you know, at at the same time. So we had the, and then my mom. And so you, you saw things from different angles. And it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. Well, now, uh, for the most part, Connie and I are empty nest. Our, our youngest is in college, so away most of the time. So with that empty nest, but we have interaction here in the church. That's, you know, we loved the family night the other, the other night. There's little kids running around everywhere. There are people older than us here. And that's the beauty of the generations in the church. It's my view that every, every generation is best equipped to reach its own generation, but no generation can do it without the others. Uh, my father went to be with the Lord in the year 2000. Now, he had a career, uh, two careers, but his first career was in the Army. And he served in World War II in Korea. Uh, he, he fought. He was in the middle of things in those places. And uh, I was only six years old when he retired from the Army, and then he had a, a second career and then retired again. Well, the year before he died, and he didn't even know he was sick at the time, he sat up late at night writing out remembrances of his time in the service. It's like 60 handwritten pages on yellow pads. I took them, typed them up, and 
gave them to the family for Christmas, and little did we know that would be our last uh, Christmas with him. But see, he came from a generation that didn't talk much about those things. I didn't even know he had fought, actually fought. I knew he'd been in the Army until I was in junior high. And, and then I stumbled across some articles about medals that he had gotten. And so I started asking questions. But when we read what he wrote down, um, not only did my brother and sister and myself learn things about him we had no idea, my mom learned things she didn't even know that had taken place. Now, I think back to those memoirs, those remembrances, and I think how much poorer we would have all been if he had never shared that. And how, how much richer we are because he did. Well, like in the family, in the church, the generations need each other. Each generation has something unique and necessary to contribute to St. Andrews. We need the connection if we are to be what God wants us to be. I would encourage you to pray about that. Not just do I need a community group, but can God use me in a community group? Do others, maybe, maybe need something that God has taught me? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word that teaches us by precept and example. And Lord, help us to just see if, if we are to have a role in, in a group and uh, what we have to offer in, in any case. Um, thank you for your church, the body, that has so much to give to one another. We rejoice in that in Christ's name. Amen.